0: I'm Eileen Dunn, and this is the God Slot. New figures from the 2011 census show that the number of people who identify as Christians in England and Wales has fallen by 4 million over the last 10 years. The data shows that numbers fell from 37.3 million in 2001 to 33 million last year. On a more secular note, in the US 44% of American voters think that Santa is a Democrat while just 28% think he's a Republican according to public policy polling. Another 28% wisely abstained from judgment. We mentioned last week that the Pope was to begin tweeting on Wednesday. Irish-born Monsignor Paul Ty tweeting on the Pope's behalf under at Pontifex and his first tweets mentioned followers and welcomed them and then he tweeted about the Year of Faith. Well, Friday next, the 21st of December, is the day of the winter solstice, marking the beginning of the sun returning from the darkness of winter as we begin to move back towards summer. Newgrange, our most iconic monument, is aligned with the winter solstice and on that morning the sun shines through illuminating its chamber. We're joined now by the Reverend Enda Donlan, the only ordained interfaith minister in northern Leinster. And uh, tell us a little bit about Newgrange and the winter solstice.
1: Yes, thanks, uh, Eileen. It um, celebrates the the beginning of our Celtic New Year. It's what uh, why they chose Christmas to be at that time because it's the rebirth of the sun. So Jesus was reborn born into the world, and the rebirth of the sun and that whole connection. It's it's not pagan nor Celtic. It's a a way of connecting with the reality of of the cycles of the worlds nature and the universe.
0: This year you've organised a festival around mm-hmm.
1: it. Yeah, this is the first uh, winter solstice, national winter solstice festival Ireland's ever had. And it's going to be an alcohol-free festival. It's in the National Show Centre, which is beside the airport. And we'll be going from sundown to sun up. And that's what we know the Celts would have, how they would have celebrated in times gone by. It'll be a cultural festival and there'll be a touch of a spiritual aspect to it too. So we'll have guest inspirational speakers like a medicine man from Peru. We'll have poetry, um, storytelling with Eddie Lenehan. There's a, a tantric goddess coming in from California. Um, so it's, it's it's inclusive of all and it transcends religion. It's about connecting to the reality of the cycles of the uh, the world, nature and oneness with all humanity.
0: Now, it's not just a big Celtic night. It's a big night all over the world, this, isn't it?
1: Yeah, practically everybody's heard about the Mayan calendar ending. And it's also a shame what the media are doing with that. They're spreading a lot of fear about the end of the world. And there is an existing living lineage of Mayan elders that are alive today. And not one Mayan elder says anything about the end of the world. What they pinpoint this exact date as being as a transformation for humanity Things are being shown for the reality of what they are. So we see this a lot in politics, in religions, you know, that which all the the crimes and all the bad things that have happened are coming to the surface and coming out.
0: But basically you reckon people have nothing to worry about. They need not fear that the end is nigh.
1: No, there's absolutely nothing. You know, if we were to go with it, these ancient civilizations, like the Mayans, the Hopi Indians, the Aborigines, all so many cultures have talked about th- this particular winter solstice and we're going to be streamed all over the globe. The website is ireland2012.ie.
0: Great. Reverend Enda, Donovan, thank you very much for thank talking you, to Ireland. us this evening. We often mention the status of women in the Christian churches. This week we bring you a report from Emer Horgan on that very subject.
2: I wanted to talk to women about how they see their role within their church, about the significance of their gender, about its limitations. The women I met had views on all of this, but they turned the conversation very quickly to matters of ministry and faith with a passing nod to leaks and keys.
3: Women have been ordained um, since, in the Church of Ireland since 1990 or 1991, around that time. Um, so yeah, a little over 20 years.
2: Sonia Giles is the rector of the group of parishes of Sanford and St. Philip's in Dartrey in Dublin.
3: It's a long time. Um, I mean, I think sometimes people think it's still quite a new thing. Um, but um, yeah, 20 years and um, in, in that time there's been quite a number uh, coming through. It was something that, that niggled away at me for, um, for, for quite a while. I mean, during my teenage years. And it, it was never a case that I had a, um, a blinding flash of light or a booming voice in my ear. It was sort of a, a gradual awareness um, that uh, this was the direction that I was being drawn in. Um, and I, I worked in insurance for a number of years beforehand... Uh, which was great and I enjoyed that very much. But there was still this pull, this draw towards ministry.
4: Oh, wait, now I need the big key. Who has the big key? Or who's the key of that? Hold on just a second.
2: Ruth Potterton is very involved in St. Philip's. She's the kind of person you'd like on your team if you're trying to get something done.
4: The vestry where we count the money, where the rector assembles before she goes into church, um, the working bit of it. We store the wine, we store the safe. Um,
2: What's in the safe?
4: The safe has the communion silver. Um, Our safe was stolen some years ago, but we actually got it all back about five years after it was stolen. It was dug up out of a garden. We got it back, <laughs> but in there lives the, the the communion silver and all those sort of things. And
2: the so keys, I see. You Keys uh, are a big thing, thing, I'd say. Are they? Keys
4: are a big thing. Keys are a big thing, and um, things like the church key is a huge key. So to try and replace it would be an impossible. Uh, porch keys, shed keys, keys to South Hill, keys to everything, endless keys. <laughs> and, and the kingdom of heaven? Oh. <laughs> mm, I don't know about that. We're still looking for that. Did you She's
2: working on a history of the church which was established in 1867.
4: I've been reading through the minute books because they're held in the RCB library and it wasn't until about 1960 that there was actually a woman on the vestry. You know, and, and it's just extraordinary, you know. It was, it was definitely in the 60s before there was a woman even sat on the vestry. You know?
2: And and, and yet, and do, just, you, do you think up until that time, do you think women have always been as central to the life of the church? Were they more important to the life of the church up to that, since that?
4: Well, I suppose it was symptomatic of more and more women would have started having careers uh, going to university. So they were not so much in the home. I mean, I think of my own mother. She would never... It would never have entered her head to want to be on the vestry. It was the sort of thing that my father did and that men did. You know, she was there doing the cake sale and and all her generation were. But now it's, I mean, women do everything. So, you know, there is a change.
2: The ordination of women in the Church of Ireland came too late for Ruth.
4: If that had been around when I was in college, that's what I would have done. I'd love to have been a clergyman.
5: Well, I was born and brought up here in this parish. There wasn't a lot of much going at that time in the parish for women, you know. But we say I'm 77 now, so we'll work that one (laughs) out.
2: Gracie lives in Hark in County Donegal.
5: Women did not get inside the altar rails at that time, you know. There was no altar rails there and you just stayed outside there, even for marriage and everything. You didn't get inside the altar rails. Most people do, really. I I would say, as for for God, not for show. If you know what I mean. I would never want to be in the limelight in any way.
2: She helps out in the church when she can, along with Teresa and Mary.
5: There's a whole lot of
2: things I don't agree with, like you know,
5: yeah, yeah,
2: a whole lot of
6: things I don't like. So the vatican and all the money and all the pompousness you know i don't agree with this pompousness no, neither do I. you know no, I don't. and all lots of things no. the, the church is going through a hard time at the moment but like at the same time that wouldn't affect my faith it's great to have the gift of faith i mean mm. it was a free gift it was given to us all some use it and some abuse it i mean and that's just the way it is and i think you're very lucky if you've got it It's not everybody that has the gift of faith. We've always given it to us all, but some of us just didn't accept it, you know.
2: But it's great when you do have it. Mary sees the importance of women in the early church.
6: When you go back to Jesus' time, that Jesus was always surrounded with women I mean, too.
5: Well, if you read all, look at all the readings, uh, now. you know, like, reading all the readings out of the Bible. Like, you know, Jesus. There was Mary, there's his mother, uh, and there was Martha, was Mary yeah, Magdalene. Yeah. I mean, he, he always had women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, really. At the very most important time, it was women that was there, yeah. at the cross. And yeah. it was, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, he had women there. Mm.
6: And women yeah. priests, I don't know. I don't know but all the other changes then you see this mm. the, all
5: these other changes are only man-made rules a lot of them Down the edge, do you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, that's why I just don't think of these rules at all actually mm-hmm. because I just think of what would Jesus do a whole lot I of always go back could, to it.
6: there's a whole lot of things <laughs>
5: I would say but not Jesus. not <laughs> uh, there's an awful lot more no.
2: in the Pro Cathedral in Dublin's Marlborough Street Trina King is a familiar person she has a significant role in the church, one which she shares with her twin sister Gemma.
7: My role is Minister of the Eucharist and Minister of the Word and then um both my twin and myself, Trina, has been uh, consecrated, we've consecrated our lives to the Lord. The consecration, it's the oldest consecration in the Church. Our Lady was the, it's Consecrated Virgin, and Our Lady was the first Consecrated Virgin. And uh, there are other, obviously, saints like St. Lucy, St. Agatha, St. Cecilia, and uh, St. Claire. They all actually are in recognised. And it was, um, I suppose, it's under canon law 604, and it really is... Um, you become in irrevocably espoused, uh, consecrated to God and espoused to, to Christ. And it's actually for life. And we got great encouragement from the cardinal, the current uh, Archbishop Martin, and all our friends were so fascinated by the ceremony that they actually said, "You know, what's happening to the twins? Are they being canonised or beatified?" Or you know, and we said, "Well, you have to be dead for all of that. You know, this is actually a living, living uh, uh, commitment." And it was a great witness because following that, people all the time came up asking us, "Is there confession on here today?"
2: That sounded almost rehearsed, but no. People approach the twins all the time to ask for prayers, for help or just to chat. I asked Trina if she'd ever considered being a nun.
7: We feel that all our energies would actually not be able to be used in confinement of a convent. And that's what we were attracted to because uh, we have the freedom, even though they'd say you're actually not free, you're not free to marry, you're not free in the world, but we have actually great freedom because we actually have the Lord and, and and that's where we get our strength.
2: And what if there was an option to become a priest in the Catholic Church? Triana is clear.
7: Personally, you know, I... You know, I've never considered it, but um, there is a role for, you know, women in the church. So, personally, I don't think I would be applying for that. I don't think. And Gemma agrees. Um, I think, you know, a blend of, you know, male and female on decision-making, you know, certainly, you know, at at high level in the church is good. It gives a balance of gender and ideas. But... uh, I think women, you know, need to be recognised as well. And if we've got, you know, good leadership, we will uh, progress. Now, I sort of would feel that women feel perhaps maybe a little bit inferior. But, you know, having said all that, uh, there is definitely... um, a superior role but you know they need to be about it need to be balanced. For
2: Sonia Giles it's an opportunity that's simply being missed. It is a pity
7: really
3: um I do remember a Jesuit priest saying to me once that he, he believed that there would be married priests a long time before there'd be women priests which, which was rather interesting but, but listen it's yeah it's a shame in some ways isn't
0: it? That report was compiled by Emer Horgan. Next, a report from Rona Tarrant on an event that arguably changed forever the way the Irish people viewed the Catholic Church, beginning with a news bulletin on Friday the 8th of May 1992 that rocked the nation.
8: This is Morning Ireland with Sean O'Rourke. The news headlines. The woman at the centre of the controversy over the resignation of Bishop Eamon Casey has spoken out about her relationship with him and his fathering of her son. The bishop left Ireland within hours of his resignation being announced and is now Can in Can you
9: tell me about your relationship with Dr. Casey? I
10: met Dr. Casey, in, Bishop Casey, in, uh, uh, I think it was April of 73. I was sent over there by my father after a bad divorce. And he said to my father on a trip to London send Annie to me for if Ireland has nothing else it has serenity now I met dr. Casey when I was seven years old
9: so dr. Casey was a family friend
10: yes Um, I went over as a guest I met him at the airport on a cold April morning and uh, I lived in inch from April until almost the end of August
9: and the reason for your stay there was to to get over as you say a bad divorce
10: Yes, and I had, in the interim, and very quickly, I think the minute I laid eyes on him, it was a spontaneous, and I don't know if I believe in these things, but it was an instantaneous kind of love, or infatuation, whatever you want to call it.
9: And how did the relationship develop?
10: It developed quickly.
9: And you obviously became very close to Dr. Casey.
10: Yes, I was like his mistress.
9: Uh, when you left Ireland, you left Ireland after a period of months then, what happened then?
10: A year then? and a half I left. Over a year and a half I left.
9: So
0: I
10: had, in the interim, I got there in August, I mean I got there in April and I had become pregnant in the uh, the end, on the beginning of November. And I had a baby
11: by Bishop Casey. That was Annie Murphy being interviewed on Morning Ireland by Donald Byrne.
9: It was never going to be a routine interview because you must remember we were talking about probably the most high-profile member of the Catholic uh, Church hierarchy in this country, a man who was larger than life, who was very well known publicly. And a man who had made a strong impression on the public, on um, the, the Catholic faithful uh, in his role as chairman of Trokra, uh, again, a very high profile in his work in the third world, uh, who happened to be the Bishop of Galway. It was the, the shifting of the tectonic plates that happened before an earthquake when you knew that this wasn't just going to be a big story then, it was going to have a seismic effect on the Catholic Church in Ireland, which indeed it did have. Because if you look back, it is that point at which uh, the faithful had their faith shattered in the institutions and personalities of the Roman Catholic Church in this country. The
8: shock in the whole country it was talked about was in the papers for weeks on end.
11: Donal Carr lived in County Kerry when Casey was Bishop there in the 1970s. But now if
8: I heard about it, it wouldn't create the shock. And I think with the way media have gone, I don't think it would have gone that far without it coming out in the papers or the television or something. I feel that would happen now. And definitely, if she was pregnant, tw- couldn't have been hidden
11: like that was that time. Um there's a particular study done by Betty Hilliard um, in 2003, um, where she interviewed um, uh, Irish Catholic women. And and in uh, during the course of her research, one of the participants um, was talking about the Bishop Eamon Casey scandal and um, the impact that that scandal had on her as a as a Catholic, as a Catholic woman. She said, I can't describe to you what it did to me inside. It was like there was a hole there that could never be filled. The shock I got personally that day, the more I thought about it and the things that followed, I can say it damaged my whole life. This is a great opportunity for my daughter to have a go at me. So she came in to see me. Well, ma'am, she said, what have you got to say for yourself now? I said I'd heard about Bishop Casey that morning, telling her I thought he was ill. I sat there and I hadn't the answers for her, but I said, to be honest, it's a bigger shock to me than it'll ever be to you. Susie Donnelly of UCD did her PhD thesis on the media and the Catholic Church. During my research, what I found quite interesting in looking at the Bishop Eamon Casey scandal was the difference in the coverage and treatment of Bishop Eamon Casey and Annie Murphy. Um, What I found um, was that Annie Murphy was treated perhaps more harshly um, than Bishop Casey um, initially in the coverage. And she became somewhat of a sex symbol um, in Ireland. She was almost seen as the woman scorned. Um, so in, in on one hand, um, there was this um, sensationalization around um, her as this um, sexualised female, um, but also um, this... Um, uh, In some aspects, a resentment towards her for um, betraying uh, a well loved clerical um, figure. And I think some of those um, uh, aspects were picked up on in the Late Late Show interview that she gave with um, uh, Gay Byrne.
1: Is he
5: Eamon's child? Yes, he is. Well.
11: And you could put
10: me on a firing squad, and I'd say he is Eamon's child. I have been, you know, I've taken very little out of this book if there is a movie. God knows, you know, there have been a, some... There are no movies, you know, but there have been inquiries. I will treat that movie the same as I have this book. I will take practically anything. I will take nothing from it except to... If I lose work. I've always worked. I will work from three years from now. I'll come back and you'll see that I still work. Okay. All right, that's what Let's I to end say. with a
2: note and say, if your son is half as good a man as his father...
1: He won't be doing too badly. Will I'm not so bad either, Will
10: Mr.
8: Murphy. you settle Burnham.
11: for that? <laughs> <laughs> for that, for that and Murphy quickly stood up and left the studio. Soon after, as well, Annie Murphy was voted um, uh, the, the the sexiest woman in Ireland um, in 1994. And um, after the the Casey story broke in the media, she was. Um, it was reported that blow-up dolls were made in Annie Murphy's image and uh, sold.
9: There is no doubt that in a a general public reaction, she was seen as a fallen woman, to use a term from those days. And uh, I think there were a lot of people who felt great sympathy for Eamon Casey and felt that he had been led astray. But, of course, what we know now and what we knew at the time of the interview um, was that, that that wasn't the case at all. There were two parties in this.
12: There was a strong reaction in in the Dublin media that, um, uh, you know, Annie Murphy was the wronged woman and that uh, the bishop had exploited her. Um, and, again, I never thought it was that black and white or that simple and certainly, when I read her autobiography, I thought it was probably likely that she was sexually experienced after all she'd been married before, whereas he was not i i I assume the way it is written, so that in fact these things are always much more complex you know from the inside of a relationship than they are from the outside. Mary Kenny, journalist and author I suppose it was a key mo- moment really in the sort of social change that happened in Ireland afterwards. Of course, it's quite interesting now, because 20 years on, people t- tend to say, gosh, uh, after all the scandals we've been through, really having a relationship with a woman seems such a, a normal and natural thing to happen, almost.
8: On no account are you to mention what we were talking about last night. All right, yeah. What were we talking about last night, Ted? <laughs> no the rumours about the bishop's
9: little mistake. All right, yeah. What mistake was that now, Ted?
8: (laughs) His son. His son in America. Just forget all about it. Just forget about it. Just do not mention the son. Have you got that? I have, Ted. The lights are on, but there's nobody home.
11: (laughs) 20 years ago, no one could have foreseen that the Casey story would have been the inspiration for a facet of Bishop Brennan in the very popular Father Ted series, Joan O'Carroll from Kerry has the final word, as she remembers Bishop Eamon Casey as the lovable rogue.
8: He wasn't your normal priest or bishop, you know, he was outgoing, bubbly, effervescent kind of a guy. He nearly had the perfect life in that he was a priest and all that. But he then had a great social life because we were always told he had to, I mean I know I had no proof in the White he world, but we always heard that he was a great man for you know, fast cars and patches and all this sort of thing.
1: Cassie, Cassie, you're the devil
2: When you get behind the hoy Because it's hand with the curry sheep Ducks when your fire stones may defeat
0: that report was compiled by Rona Tarrant. And that's all we have for you this week. Next Friday, with Christmas just around the corner, Christmas which can truly be called the Feast of Childhood, we focus on various groups of children preparing for their special day. And don't forget to make a note in your diaries that we have a special programme on Christmas morning at 10, recorded in the beautiful surroundings of Glenstall Abbey. We always welcome your comments. Our email address is godslot at I. Our phone number is 01-208-2039 and our postal address, The God Slot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. Until next week, slán is